Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. My name is Marshall St. Patrick Hewitt, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And I'm back. I'm back to do one last kind of episode chopping up the Australia versus West Indies test series. When I when I did the last video, I had a few comments saying, so Mash, when are you going to do the player ratings? When are you going to let us know what rating out of 10 you give the West Indian players on that tour of Australia? And now is the time. Now is the time to chop it up properly and kind of having had, what, three, four, five days out since the since the Test Series ended and having had time to kind of just sit back and assess the lay of the land, it's now time to give the, the, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast official player ratings out with a clear head and a cool mind. As ever, though, first things first, just a bit of admin. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see scrolling down at the bottom, Please like, share, and subscribe to the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. It helps the algorithms. We're on the road to 4K at the time of recording this video. We are now on 3,843 subscribers. So we need, what, another 157 to hit 4K. And then we move. We move to 5K after we hit 4K. But let's try and hit that magic number of 4K first things first. For those of you who follow us on our uh, social handles, at Carib Cricket, Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook, you can find us at Carib, just type in Caribbean Cricket Podcast. It's a private group, so I'll, I'll have to accept um, your request. But there's, I think there's 2.7K of us in the Facebook group on Caribbean Cricket Podcast as well. So become a member of that. If you'd like to support the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, just head to www.patreon.com forward slash Carib Cricket. And as little as two pounds, two dollars, two, whatever your currency is, you can support us uh, at the Caribbean Cricket Podcast as we try to become, become, are we already? As we try to become the number one media outlet covering West Indies cricket, all forms, all age groups, 
all all different genders of the Caribbean um, uh, of West Indies cricket and Caribbean cricket. So do support if you can. And if all else fails, just head to www.caribbeancricketpodcast.com, and that's where you'll find everything on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. But let's get into it, people. Let's get into it. You said you wanted me to look at player rate or give out the player ratings. Well, here we go. This is going to be a short video. And for those listening on the audio, this is going to be a short audio edition of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast as we just look at each player one by one and assess what they get out of 10. Starting at the top with our captain, Mr. Craig Brathwaite. So for Craig, for Craig, what do we give him? Do you know what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be technical as I record this. Let me I should if I was really good at like video editing and stuff, um, I'd have Craig Brathwaite. I'd have like a picture of him as I record this, but for those watching on the visuals, you can just suffice with his name. So Craig Brathwaite. Remember two test matches, people, so four innings. Craig scored 64 and 110. He's 11th test match century, his first ever in Australia in the first innings in Perth, and then in the second, sorry, first test at Perth, in the second test, the day-night test in Adelaide, he struggled, he got 19 and three. So four innings, uh, test, uh, sorry, an average of 49 across the test series, the highest average um, in in the team, and of course, the highest run scorer um, in the team as well. He scored 196 runs across the four innings. He also took three wickets at 51, which is, you could say that's nothing to shout about, but given the outbold Roston chase and Roston went as the primary off spinner in the side, I have to mention that as well. Obviously, Craig is the captain. I don't know if we should give extra marks or take marks off for being the captain, particularly the captain of a losing side in Australia. Granted, that's nothing new. So I've got to give Craig, we have to give Craig seven and a half out of 10. I give Craig seven and a half out of 10 for his efforts in Australia. Why seven and a half? I think because the first test, he was brilliant. I thought he was, he led from the front. The fight that we showed in the first test to ensure the test went on as long as possible. Um, The fact that we got our fourth highest score ever in Australia, um, which was uh, 3-3-3, our fourth highest score in the last 20 innings that we've batted in Australia. Largely, that goes down to Craig's 110 in the second innings. So I I have to give Craig his due um, for that. Obviously, he failed in the second test in Perth, which is why I've brought his score down somewhat. But ultimately, top run scorer uh, amongst the West Union batsmen, 196 runs, 7.5 out of 10. But already, this is a problem because... If if Craig is the top run scorer and I'm only giving him seven and a half out of ten, no one can get above Craig for the rest of this for the rest of this player rating. So I've already given the game away, people. That is the that is the highest the bar is going for these set of player ratings. So so strap him for the ride because now you need to know how low am I willing to go for the remainder of the players. Up next, people. Up next, Tejnarine Shandapur on test debut. Had to debut in Australia due due to um, John Campbell's due to John Campbell's drug ban. Page the rise Shandapur. So in the first innings, uh, sorry, first I keep saying first innings. In the first test in Perth, he got his maiden test match half century a fifty one and a forty five, and then in the second test in Perth, he got a forty seven and a seventeen. 
the second highest run score in the West Indies side with 160 runs across the four innings. He averaged 40. He faced the second highest number of balls in the side. So Craig faced 415 across the two test matches. Uh, Tej faced 335. And with Tej, unlike Craig, so Craig we know is an established West Indian international. He probably is our best batter. He's known as our kind of most durable batter. Tej gets his flowers for basically following the same template as Craig, but doing it in his own way, making sure that he was difficult to get out. Obviously, one of the innings, he he got run out, which was unfortunate because he was well on course to get his second uh, test match 50. Um, so that was unfortunate for him. But three battling innings, 51, 45, 47. And then even, even the 17, in the context of us being bowled out for 70 or even the 17 was a significant contribution in the context of what the side actually did in that final uh, test innings in Perth. Technically, I should give Tej more than Craig, but I can't because Craig scored a century, his 11th test match century. Craig faced the most balls. He scored the highest number of runs. Yes, the context for Tej is that Tej was on debut. But for me, I think I, I can't go higher than Craig. So for Tej Shandapal, I give him 7 out of 10. A really solid set of innings. Nothing that was like a major, you must sit up a notice innings. Because at the end of the day, yes, a test match half century on debut. Yes, a fo he followed it up with a 45 and a 47. But they weren't what I call big sit up and notice knocks they were i am a gritty batsman i can also i've also now got an array of strokes i ne didn't necessarily have when he when when i was i'm talking as if i'm taking when i was younger coming up through the game but do you, do you know what i mean people we can't get too excited about 50 and out or 45 and out and 47 and out it's solid but we shouldn't be getting too too excited it's just a solid set of uh, test match innings to show that there is something to work with. So for Teishandapal, I give him 7 out of 10. Uh, the original test match number three, before he got injured, was in Krumah Bonner. Oh, in Krumah Bonner was supposed to be uh, the number three for the, for the duration of the tour. Unfortunately, in the very first innings, in the first test match um, at Perth, in Krumah Bonner got... Um, hit by, I always forget who it was, Cameron Green, was it Cameron Green? Um, and he had to retire on 16 not out, having faced 47 balls. Concussion protocols ruled him out. It then meant he, uh, due to those concussion protocols, he wasn't ready to come back at Adelaide. So that was effectively the end of his test series after 47 balls in Perth. I must commend Nkrumah because even with, well, do we commend or do we say it's silly? But even with the concussion protocols, initially Nkrumah decided to bat on and said he was all right. And the fact that Nkrumah faced 47 balls for 16 runs, didn't get dismissed, and then eventually said, you know what, I'm actually dizzy out here. I've got to come off the pitch. I guess part of me is, let me let me give an example, people. Uh, let me put this in perspective for you. I don't know if there's anyone to include. So across the series here, let me put it in perspective. So Shamar Brooks batted three innings. So after Nkrumah Bonner got licked down and had to leave for concussion protocols, um, Shamar Brooks then went on to bat three innings in replacement of Nkrumah Bonner. And across those three innings, Shamar faced 100 balls. 
Now, bear in mind that Nkrumah, with his concussion, faced half the amount of those balls, or roughly half, having faced 47 and didn't get dismissed. So it kind of just puts into context how durable Nkrumah Bonner can be. That said, all of that said, I still don't feel comfortable necessarily saying we can rate him. So for Nkrumah Bonner, because he, he wasn't dismissed, but can you really rate somebody who, or give a, somebody a player rating who actually had to leave the field due to concussion protocols? So respecting that fact, I will not grade Nkrumah Bonner. I think my description of um, his kind of strength of character and choosing to battle on, however, however silly that may actually have been, or how how uh, ill thought out that decision may have been, he may say, "Well, I passed the concussion protocols; I was fine to go." Okay, cool, but clearly all was not right. But he still battled through. But I will leave um, Nkrumah Bonner ungraded. By all means, people, of course, if you're watching this um, on. On uh, YouTube, do leave your gradings below. Disagree if you feel you should disagree and so on and so forth. Shamar Brooks. So Shamar Brooks was the concussion replacement for Nkrumah Bonner in Perth. Uh, and he came in and he made 33 in the first innings, having been a concussion replacement, 11 in the second innings. Now, I, I think I did a video saying who should play for the second test. If Carl Mayers had been fit, fit enough to bat and bowl, I would have dropped Shamar Brooks there and then. I, Whatever the decision-making was for Shamar Brooks to be the concussion replacement in Perth, I was all set to say, you know what, drop Brooks. Don't pick him for the second test. Let Devon Thomas come in because it's Devon Thomas's. Uh, he should be the next taxi on the rank, so to speak. Um, but as it was, Mayers was deemed uh, unfit to play. So both Brooks kept his place. And Thomas came in to replace Mayers anyway. In the second test in Perth, Brooks made eight and a duck. So across the four innings, so actually I said, do you know what? Um, so I said Brooks batted three in three innings for his 100 balls faced. It was actually four. That makes it even worse. So Brooks got 33, 11, 8, 0. His test match average is now 23. Um... 33, 11, 8, and 0. That's your test match number three. People, Jamar Brooks, one out of 10. Is that harsh? Is that harsh? I mean, he got 33 in the first innings, but am I really going to say that that's something to be, to, to, to be proud about? 33, 11, 8, zero the 33 he looked relatively fluent before he chased one outside the off stump and gave it away uh, i feel like that's an oft-repeated tale about shamar brooks one out of ten is possibly harsh at, at best i'd stretch it to two but for now shamar brooks my caribbean cricket podcast rating for your contributions on tour to australia one out of ten listen the game's the game man it is what it is it is what it is. Nobody getting their feelings. It just is what it is, you know. These, this, these. There's no rules out here with a Caribbean cricket podcast rating. You just have to, you just have to hold the L and just keep it moving. And my L is one out of ten. Jermaine Blackwood, vice captain, the oft maligned Jermaine Blackwood. Whenever people criticise a West Indies batting um, lineup, you often hear people go for Jermaine Blackwood's neck first before anybody else. Um, so Jermaine Blackwood. He's four innings, 36, 24, three, duck, at an average of 16. 
He faced 179 balls. And that's important to point out because believe it or not, the 179 balls that Jermaine Blackwood faced was the fourth highest number of balls that anybody faced in the West Indies side across the series. If you're wondering who was third, it was Roston Chase, right? So Blackwood's tour was horrid. So I'm not trying to go, I'm not, I'm not trying to front and pretend that Blackwood had a great tour, but it puts the rest of the batting lineup in perspective when I say to you that Blackwood faced the fourth highest number of balls in the in the West Indies batting lineup. So to, to repeat that, Brathwaite faced 415 across his four innings. Tej faced 335. Roston faced 212. And Jermaine faced 179. And I think the reason why that's quite significant is for all the criticism that Jermaine gets, and some of it is very valid in fairness, but Jermaine does try more often than not these days, to try and stick in. And certainly the 36 and 24 he made in Perth, they weren't, those weren't like um, shot a ball type innings. He tried to stick around. He tried to build innings. The three and the duck in, in Adelaide, okay, they sucked. But the 36 and 24, when you go back and actually look at those innings, he was trying his best to construct an innings, stick around, face as many balls as possible, etc. It's still a terrible tour for him, though, an average of 16. Some people will say Jermaine Blackwood should now hold a drop from West Indies side. I don't prescribe to that. Shamar Brooks, I think, should be dropped. I forgot to say that. But Jermaine Blackwood, it was just a bad tour for him. Um, I gave Brooks 1 out of 10 for averaging 13. Because Blackwood faced a lot of balls in Perth in trying to construct his innings. I'm going to give Jermaine Blackwood a two out of 10 for at least trying to battle and stick in for as long as he could um, in the first test match in Perth. So Jermaine Blackwood, two out of 10. In at number five, the first test at least, Carl Mayers. So Carl Mayers, um, fresh off his 146 that he made at home against Bangladesh, he was on, wasn't on Test Match debut, but it was the first time he was playing in Australia in Test Match cricket. He struggled massively um, with the bat in the in the Perth Test Match, one and ten for his two innings. It looked like he was a walking wicket throughout throughout the the Perth Test Match, but he bowled brilliantly. Well, I say bowled brilliantly. He bowled very well in Perth, one for thirty nine um, from his fifteen overs that he bowled. And he sh Mayers showed enough in Perth with the ball for us to badly miss him in Adelaide. We saw the purchase and movement that Devon Thomas, who's a part-time seamer, was able to get in Adelaide. You better believe that if Mayers had been fit enough to bowl in Adelaide, I reckon he probably would have been our best bowler um, in those conditions. As it was, he wasn't. And even then, he, even irrespective of me making that point, Mayers is still primarily in the side to perform with the bat. And the one and the 10, and more importantly, the nature of how he lost his wickets um, in Perth. Little to no foot movement. It was too soft, his dismissals. And then he was injured anyway. So what do we give Mayers? The bowling was good in Perth. The batting was awful. Mm, this is controversial. Some of you are going to disagree with me on this one. I'm going to give Carl Mayers a two out of 10 
for his test series or one test match of it. And the reason some of you will say, nah, it's got to be lower than that. Yes, I know he sucked with the bat, but I do think he was the pick of our bowlers um, in in Perth to the point where, if you remember back to that first test, lots of people were like, oh, why didn't Craig bowl um, Mayers more? Well, now we know because Mayers was carrying an injury that that went on to rule him out of the second test altogether. So I'm giving Mayers two out of 10 because I thought his bowling was good. The question mark over the two out of 10, and if people think I'm grading him too high, is if you don't see him as an all-rounder in the side. If you primarily see him as a batter and his bowling is just an added bonus, then maybe it's lower than two out of 10. But I'm going to stick with two out of 10 um, for Carl Mayers. In at number six, Jason Holder. People, Jason Holder is having a horrible run of form for West Indies in test cricket. Bear with me, actually, people, because I need to bring up, even though this is about grading him for the Australia um, series, I do think it's worth me just pointing some stuff out about Jason Holder uh, and his form. So Jason did not play in the uh, Bangladesh series. He played in the England series. In the England series with the bat, he made 45, 37 not out, 12. Sorry, so 45, 37 not out, um, in the first test, 12 and a duck in the second test, a duck in the third test, okay? And then remember, he sat out the Bangladesh series. So you could argue, okay, well, he made a 45 and a 37, but 12, duck, duck, right? Then when you look at Jason with the ball against England, these were his um, uh, contributions, First test, two for 24, one for 56. Second test, one for 76 and none for 40. Third test, none for 34 and none for six. Okay. By Jason Holder's lofty standards, he is not... It's too strong a word to say he's on the decline. I'm not going to say anything like that, but his form has not been the best in 2022 in test cricket and it carried on in Australia. Okay, and the only reason this is more criminal is because Jason's been to Australia before. Uh, some of the players who went to Australia have never toured Australia before, but Jason isn't one of them. He's been there with the bat, batting at number six as well. And this is why I'm going to be quite harsh on Jason because he was higher up the order. When you go higher up the order, there is an expectation that expectation that you make a more meaningful contribution. So at number six, Jason scored twenty-seven and three in Perth and then Duck and 11 in Adelaide, four innings for an average of 10. And then with the ball, Jason took one wicket across the four innings at 223. His economy was fine. I'm not doubting that. But Jason took one wicket. And again, I have to point out, to, I mean, statistically, Jason was the worst bowler in the side, right? Not in terms of economy, but just in terms of wicket return right? Statistically, he was the worst bowler in the side. And I just think that's unacceptable given his experience level, given his position in the side, and given the fact he, he was one of the few who's actually been to Australia before. Um, one wicket at 223. How many runs did Jason score? And, oh my gosh, and 41 runs at an average of 10. Jason will say that some of the innings he bought, some of the balls, and particularly 
more so Adelaide than Perth. Sorry, more so Perth than Adelaide. Jason will say, you know, I was a bit unlucky. Some of the balls that I bowled in, particularly in Perth, should have had wickets and so on and so forth. But we've got to go with the raw stats and the numbers produced on that tour. People, I'm never going to be allowed in Barbados again. I'm about to get colded out here. People, Jason Holder, none out of 10. None out of 10. Listen, it's not personal. It's not personal, people. Mia, don't try and bar me from entering Barbados, you know. It's not personal. But we got to put everything into context. It's got to be none out of 10. If it wasn't Jason Holder and that was anybody else, you'd feel calm just going, yeah, that's none out of 10 still. Jace, big Jace, my former captain, I've got to keep it real. None out of 10. Moving on, people. Uh, number seven, uh, Joshua De Silva. Joshua De Silva. Uh, how did Josh do? So, Josh, with the bat, subpar. Duck, so in Perth, a duck and 12. In Adelaide, 23 and 15. I didn't think he was that bad in Adelaide, to be fair. Didn't I didn't think he was that bad. There's a lot of people who are of the opinion that Josh De Silva should bat higher up the order now. Um, whether that means he gives the gloves to someone else. But there's a lot of people who definitely believe that Josh should bat higher up the order. But at the end of the day, the numbers are low, aren't they? Duck, 12, 23, 15. Uh, I thought he was tidy behind the stumps. I mean, the end, and before anyone says that doesn't matter, he is the wicketkeeper, so I have to talk about his wicketkeeper. I thought he was relatively tidy behind the stumps. But, I mean, the, the, the return with the bat, 50 runs at an average of 13. It's poor, isn't it? Um, 50 runs, an average of 13. If Shamar Brooks can get one and he averaged 13, then even though Josh was tidy behind the stumps, okay, do you know what? I'll be fair. I thought Josh was tidy behind the stumps, so I'm going to give him a 0.5 for that. But his return with the bat, Josh would accept this. I think Josh would accept this. 1.5 out of 10 for Josh De Silva. 1.5 out of 10. <laughs> Thing is, people are going to say, come on, Mash, low ratings means you give like three and four. But we've got to be realistic, people. We've got to be realistic. It ain't time for friendship out here. We've got to be realistic. 1.5 out of 10. And the reason why I say that's fine is because, again, I think Josh would look at it and go, you know what? He, no, I think Josh would probably say, come on, Mash, that's harsh. Three out of 10 at least. But there is no way that Josh would be happy with that bat in return. Ungranted, what is his first tour of Australia? So Josh De Silva. 1.5 out of 10. Let's move on to number eight. Oh, I've missed out Devon Thomas. He'll go at the end because he was uh, he came in for the second test. Roston Chase. Roston Chase. So Roston Chase came on tour as a specialist spinner. Desmond Haynes, I'm sorry, dreadful decision. Absolutely dreadful decision. Made no sense when it was first announced. Made no sense when Roston was selected and made even less sense after the two test matches. So let's talk about what he did with the ball first, because at the end of the day, that's what Roston Chase was selected for. There was no other reason why, well, no other reason given as to why he got into the test squad. Uh, Roston Chase took three wickets, 104. Three wickets at 104. When you listen back to a lot of like the Aussie pundits and anybody who listened to the series, the 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 thing that we heard most um, from people who atted us at Caribbean cricket often tended to be, 
why is what is Ruston Chase your number one spinner? He can't be a number one spinner. That was the that was the most common statement we received on our handles. People saying, "How on earth is Ruston Chase the best, uh, the frontline spinner for the West Indies?" He was poor. I he was he was so subpar with the ball. It was a bit of a joke, all things considered. So if I'm rating Ruston Chase based on his contributions with the ball, which is what he got selected to go on tour for, zero out of ten. I know he took three wickets at 104, but at best zero, at best 0.5 out of 10. However, the reason why I'm going to grade Roston higher is because Roston showed for the first time in ages that he might be returning to some form with the bat to the point where I'm expecting Roston to be selected for the Zimbabwe series, but this time the roles will reverse. I think Roston will be selected primarily to go as a batter and his bowling will be seen as like the second spinner in the side because he just so happens to offer some part-time spin bowling. West Indies selectors surely won't make the mistake again, ever again, of picking Ruston Chase as their frontline spinner. But I can get behind them possibly thinking that he can return to the side now as a batter. Why do I say that? Because Ruston was our third best batter uh, across the, the series. Uh, so just reminding people, Craig Brathwaite made 196 runs. Tage made 160. Roston was the only other batter in the West Indies side to score more than 100 runs across the four innings that he batted. So he got 13 and 55 in Perth, 34 and 13 in Adelaide. And I do believe, by the way, that Roston possibly could have made more runs both in Perth and in Adelaide. But because he was batting eight, a few times he was just left with the tail. So then had to start hitting out. And in a, in other circumstances, I think Russell would have added a few more runs on. But he found himself stranded with the tail, which is often what happens happened to Josh De Silva in his career because Josh is usually the number eight. But such such is the depths to which Roston's stock has fallen that Roston found himself batting at eight against Australia. I don't think that will happen again. I think if Roston keeps his place, he's now going to go back up the order and you'll possibly see Jason Holder and Josh De Silva come down the order. So because of his contributions with the bat, he averaged 29, I should say. So 115 runs for an average of 29. And of, of course, a, a test match 50 in there that he got um, at Perth. But because he wasn't selected for that primary suit, those runs have to be seen as bonus runs. I'll give Roston Chase for this test series. Third highest run scorer. People are going to say this is harsh, but it is what it is. I give Roston four out of ten. I do. I, even as I'm even as I'm saying that. I can accept that people are going to say that's harsh. Maybe I should give him five. But again, I've got to put it in context. He wasn't selected to primarily make runs. Don't get me wrong. It's great. that, But I see those as bonus runs that he made. And don't get me wrong, that 55 that he made in the, the, the first test in Perth is why we and is one of the big contrib contributing factors as to why we made 333 uh, in the second innings at Perth. But I just can't get behind talking purely about his batting as a great thing when he was selected to be the frontline spinner and he only took three wickets, 104. To put this in perspective, people, um, let me just find it because I think we need to put this in proper perspective. Australia's frontline off spinner was obviously Nathan Lyon. Of course, Nathan Lyon has 440 plus wicket test, uh, test wickets um, 
uh, sorry, in, te- in, te- in Test cricket, I should say. So I, I know it's silly to compare to Nathan Lyon, but it's important to look at Nathan Lyon just to understand how badly Roston bowled. Nathan Lyon took t- he was the was Australia's highest wicket taker across the series. He took twelve wickets at twenty one. Now, yes, that is Nathan Lyon, one of the premier of spinners in the world. They call him the GOAT or whatever it might be. So Nathan Lyon took 12 at 21. Roston Chase, who was our frontline spinner, took three at 104. Come on, man. Four out of 10. Trying to wrap this up now. Gone on a bit longer, as usual, than I ever want uh, things to go on. Um, who's after Roston? Alzari Joseph. So Alzari Joseph was technically our best pacer. Um you know, only him and Holder played the two test matches, in fairness. But um, Alzari Joseph, firstly with the bat, he scored a 43 at Perth, had a really good partnership with Roston Chase again, which helped us get to 333. I do believe that Alzari Joseph has the game to be an actual average to quite good test all-rounder. He's not there yet, but he's definitely got the game to do significantly better with the bat than he's probably done so in his career so far, I definitely feel Alzari could make far more runs um, than he's currently made. And he gave us a glimpse of that uh, with the with the 43 that he made in Perth. But again, just like I said, Ruston Chase, we're not here to talk about Alzari Joseph's batting because he is a fast bowler. Uh, I should just add, though, I'm sorry, let me just make sure I get this right because I was just talking about his batting. Um, yeah, so Alzari currently averages 13 but he has got two test match 50s. That average of 13, I think Alzari could easily get that up to 20 if he if he really properly focuses on his batting. Anyways, that's with the bat. But with the ball, Alzari took five wickets across the two test matches at 53. So technically, he was our best pacer, out-and-out pacer. I think Alzari got better as the, as the test series went on. Five at 53 is nothing to shout about. But again, I feel a bit I feel a bit harsh on Alzari here because he bowled some good spells which went wicketless. I think he remember he got Labashane out on a no ball and, and so on and so forth. So the five for fifty-three probably doesn't reflect how well he bowled, but at the end of the day, your numbers are your numbers. So Alzari Joseph, yes, I know a 43 and but it's we can't be celebrating five wickets at 53. We can't. I'm sorry. Alzari Joseph. Let me actually let me just change this. Uh, what did I give Roston? Mm. Alzari Joseph. Let me change this. Alzari Joseph. Again, people can say I'm harsh. Three and a half out of ten. I think three and a half out of ten for his test tour. Okay. Moving on to now again to the people who were kind of injured in essence. So Kimar Roach only played the first. He only played the first test match. He got injured. Um, hamstring injury. He took one wicket at 121. He was quite economical. Again, he possibly would say he could have got more wickets in Perth and that he bowled some good deliveries where they just batters didn't nick off. But at the end of the day, much like I said with Holder, it's one wicket. And when you're one of the few bowlers who've been to Australia before, um, that has to count against you in the ratings because you're one of the few with the experience. Last time Kimar went to Australia, actually in 20, 2015, 2016, I don't think he took any wickets at all. So as much as I say, oh, you're one of the experienced bowlers, you know what Australian conditions are like you've been before. But he didn't take any wickets last time he went, um, which suggests that Australia is a bit of a graveyard for Kimar as far as um, 
as far as bowling and being effect as effective as he is in home conditions. So one wicket, 121. Uh, it's not good enough, is it? I gave Jason none out of 10. I'll give Kumar one out of 10. One out of 10 for that. Similarly, Jaden Seals, he only took one wicket very early on in the series. <laughs> Jaden Seals, I think, took a, I can't, was it David Warner in the first innings of the first test? I think at one point, Australia were like nine for one. And <laughs> think back to that point where it's like, wait a minute, West Indies could do well here. That was the only wicket that Jaden Seals took. He took a lot of tap, to be fair. Um, but then, like, he was quite expensive. But then again, I'm, and he was carrying a bit of a knee injury. Obviously, he was ruled out of the second test. But I can't hate on Jaden for that. Again, he's inexperienced. He's 21. This is his first ever series, test series, outside of uh, the West Indies. So it was always going to be a huge test and a huge learning curve for Jaden. And he didn't even get to play in the second test due to injury, which would obviously been a bit more useful to see if he'd kind of learned from what happened at Perth and how he adapted his game. So one wicket uh, at 113, I think I've got to do the same as I did to Kimar Roach, one out of 10, even with the context of it being his first tour. Similarly, Anderson Phillip. Anderson Phillip drafted in as a replacement for Kimar Roach or Jaden Seals, whichever one he was actually replacing. He only took one wicket as well in Adelaide. Again, People are going to say, oh, you keep saying this, Mash, you're, you're a broken record. But I actually thought Anderson Phillip, there was one spell he bowled. I can't remember if it was the first. I think it was the second innings that Australia batted. It may have been just after lunch. It was after some kind of break. And I thought he bowled a really good spell. In fact, I thought he bowled two good spells. One after that break, and I think one maybe at the start of the day of whether the first or second innings. And he went wicketless. But I actually thought he bowled well in some spells. But again, never toured Australia before, came in as an injury replacement. He didn't have like Perth to get used to anything. He didn't play in the warm-up game either prior to the first test. So Anderson kind of came in from the cold. So it's perhaps no surprise that he took one wicket only um, at, at 159. Because the context of him kind of coming out from the cold, didn't play the warm-up game, etc., I was willing to just give him one out of 10 like I have for Kumar and like I did for Jaden. <coughs> Sorry. The only difference is with Anderson Phillip, he also scored 43. Coming in as a night watchman, he scored 43. Um, <laughs> and to put to put that in, in, in perspective, that 43 was the, I think, like the fifth highest score that any West Indian batter made across the series. So, yes, that's not what Anderson Phillip was selected for. But you have to rate any number 10 batter who can make 43. Um, so for that, I'm going to give Anderson Phillip, I'm going to give him two out of 10 for that 43. And the fact he was on tour the first time, etc. So two out of 10 for Anderson Phillip, which leaves one last person. I'm not going to give a grade to Marquino Mindley because he pulled up after two overs, having flown from Jamaica to Australia at the last minute due to the number of injuries he had. So I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to to grade to grade um, Marquino Mindy. So I'll just grade Devon Thomas. So Devon Thomas was drafted in. Last thing now, people coming up to the forty minute mark should be the end of the video after this. Devon Thomas came in because Carl Mayers was injured. He made nineteen and twelve in Adelaide. He was unlucky with the nineteen. Nineteen, he, the nine. Uh, sorry, the the nineteen that he made in the first innings in Adelaide. 
he defended a ball from, I'm going to say Mitchell Stark, but I can't remember. And the ball bounced down from his bat, bounced back up and clicked the top of the bells. That was an unfortunate dismissal. And I thought Devon had looked quite compact up until then. And it was a really unfortunate dismissal. When you lux out, you lux out. The second dismissal in the second innings, well, he chased one and nicked off. That was poor. Okay. But I do think in the first innings in particular, um, I thought he was unlucky to be dismissed on 19. Uh, some, where is it? Yeah, I mean, and across the two innings of 19 and 12, Devon actually faced 93 balls, which I'm not trying to like sing his praises, but that was quite interesting because Devon Thomas in domestic cricket is a free-flowing batter who loves to get on with it. But he showed against Australia that he actually does have a good compact defensive game which was impressive to see, but unfortunately he couldn't get a real good start in either innings. Okay. However, the reason why I'm going to end up grading Devon, Devon Thomas better than pretty much most of the other players is because Devon Thomas probably was our best bowler in Adelaide. Now that unfortunately says a lot about the quality of what the rest of our bowlers were doing in Adelaide. Um, but um, Devon Thomas was probably, how do I phrase this? Devon Thomas, even with all the full tosses that he bowled and how rusty he looked, because he would, obviously, once Marquino Mendy got injured, Devon had to bowl a lot more than he possibly could ever have expected. In the end, he bowled 16 overs across the two innings, way more than he should have been expected to bowl, but he was forced into action. But the thing I will say about Devon is he moved the ball more than anybody else. Imagine that. Your part-time, your your second string wicketkeeper, part-time seam bowler, was able to get more prodigious movement off the surface than any of our other frontline bowlers. And that's why he was rewarded with two wickets. He took, um, he took two, where is it? Let me find my stats. He took two wickets for 66 across the match, ending the series, therefore, with an average of 33. And I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that I now see a place for Devon Thomas in the West Indies side with the ball. I'm not saying that. It adds to his bowl in the same way how Carl Mayers' ability to swing the ball adds to his bowl. Um, I think Devon Thomas's performance with the ball is to be commended, given the situation he found himself in. But his success with the ball, for me, more so highlights how poorly others did with the ball because Devon seemed to be... Devon seemed to understand the conditions he was bowling in, the length he needed to bowl, the line he needed to bowl a lot quicker than players who were actually there to bowl, if that makes sense. So all things considered because of that, I'm not going to give Devon, I'm still going to give him quite a low score because at the end of the day, remember, he's in the team to bat, but I was impressed with what he did with the ball. So as a result for Devon, um, I'm going to give him, I'm going to change this actually, I'm going to give Devon a four out, oh, where is it? going to give Devon a four out of 10. Some of you will say, nah, Mash, that's way too high, but I'm going to give him a four out of 10 for just being the, probably the only bowler across the two test matches. Carl Mayer's in the first one, in fairness, to properly understand the line and length you were supposed to bowl in conditions to cause problems for batters. So I'm going to give him a four out of 10 um, for that. Possibly that's too high and it should be three and a half, but we'll leave it with that. So, 
Ladies and gents, that was quite lengthy. I wanted to kind of go in depth with it. I didn't just want to go this player, this rating, next player, this rating. I wanted to kind of break it down and analyze it a bit further than just giving some random numbers. But let me know if you're watching on YouTube, let me know in the comments below. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple or Podbean or Google Podcasts or Amazon Music, wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you're listening on that, those are... Uh, those networks and channels just send us a message at carib cricket let me know what you think about those ratings where you disagree why you disagree um so on and so forth but as ever i've been Marshall saint patrick Hewitt, one half of the caribbean cricket podcast stay locked in for more content soon to come your way thank you and good night